Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to one of Ireland's first female judges, trailblazer Gillian Hussey. I've had my ups and I have had my downs, like everybody. Mm -hmm. Life is full of ups and downs. Show me the person who has had no ups and downs. Yes, yeah. And I've had ups and I've had downs. But if I were to die today, I could turn to you and quite truthfully I'd be saying to you, I had a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed so much of that life. Some of it I haven't. But put that aside. Mm. But I've learned so much about life and about people and about myself, in fact. When Gillian began her career, little did she know that she'd deal with some of the most notorious criminals in Ireland, the likes of the Kinnahans, the Cahills, the Monk and John Gilligan. In this conversation, she gives us an insight into her courtroom, her reflections on the legal system and the importance she places on rehabilitation. We also talk about the relationship she had with her father and how she struggled with feeling worthy, especially early in her career. She's so interesting and unsurprisingly made a big impression on viewers when she appeared on the Tommy Tiernan show last year. And having a number of mutual friends, I always knew she'd be a wonderful guest for Ready to be Real. I started our chat by asking her when it clicked that a career in law was for her. It clicked just before I did my leaving certificate. In those days, if you were sick, the doctor came to the house many centuries ago. And... The doctor said to my mother, what's she going to do when she leaves school? My mother said, she's going to do her BMOS. And the doctor said, 
don't be ridiculous. She should do law. She has an uncle, a solicitor. Right. And I did law. And is that what you wanted to do then? No. No. Okay. Did what you're told in those days. Right. So if you were to go back and chat to the 16, 17 year old Gillian, what would she say she wanted to be then? I was going to do my BMOS. Right. What I was going to do with it. Looking back now, I'm so very, very grateful that my doctor said what he said and that my uncle took me on board yeah. for a career that I had never, never envisaged. What was it like for for you as a young woman going into the world of law, a very much a male-dominated world? Oh, absolutely. Well, the frequent question when I was a student, hmm. particularly from uh, people who were qualified as solicitors, why are you going into a man's profession? And of course, I stoutly said, I'm not. And you damn well, I was. But look at it now. Yeah. All those years later. Mm. I think I read, uh, some months ago, I read a, an article in, in one of the papers about the statistics. There are more women solicitors in Dublin than there are men. Okay, yeah. And it must be satisfying for you knowing that you have really played your part because obviously you were a source of huge inspiration for so many women who decided on a career in law. I have no idea. Are you just being modest? No, I'm not. I I didn't have a great interaction with my colleagues. Did you not? Not, not particularly when I went on the bench. Okay, why? Well, of course, many, most of them were male, anyhow. Okay. At that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were three women qualified the day I could, myself and two other women qualified mm. the day I qualified. And that was unusual to have three women. Yes. And you qualified as a solicitor. I qualified as a solicitor in 1958. Mm. And uh, I stayed with my uncle for some months after that. And then I decided to spread my wings and I applied, applied to be an air hostess. Right. And I went for an interview for being an air hostess. Yeah. But I couldn't convince the people that were interviewing me as to why a solicitor would want to be an air hostess. <laughs> they were so right. I applied for a job okay. in a solicitor's office here in Dublin. Lovely, lovely, kind gentleman. And he offered me the job. Hmm. And he offered me... Now, because it's so long ago, I'll tell you how much he offered me. He offered me £10 a week. You're right, yes. And I said to him, actually, I don't think I'm worth it. You didn't, did you? I did. I said to him, I don't think I could take that. So we're, we're, we're talking about what year again now? 1950, uh, 59. 58, 59. So what would €10 Euro be now in today's money oh, as Oh, don't were? ask me. I wouldn't even begin to but think. It's, but it, I'll it, tell you what be it would be. a nice or, wage. I was, I was actually earning... I think I had the best salary of the people who qualified in 58. It was six guineas. You possibly never even heard the word guineas. Heard it, but yeah. certainly no Six guineas no is six, six pounds and uh-huh. six shillings. Yeah. And that's what I was getting. And that was a very good salary. Mm-hmm. And to be offered 10, which was nearly double it. Yeah. I said, I don't think I'm worth it. So I took the job. And in two weeks time, he called me and he said, by the way, I'm giving you 10 euros. A week, uh, ten pounds a week. Fair play. You're please. quite worth, well worth it. There it. you go. Yeah, he was a lovely. He was a lovely, lovely man. 
And is that something that played its part in your life? You know, the fact that you would say that out loud, because I know that a lot of us struggle with feelings of, of worthiness and oh, questioning. Yes. I, I've no, I have no problem. In, in, I didn't expect that to happen. And particularly, I think, as, as a woman, I would have thought possibly I would get less. And is that why? Is it because... I, I, yes. Yeah. I think so. When did you start to feel worth it? Not very long ago. Really? Not very long ago. I've, I've, I've had my ups and I have had my downs, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Life is full of ups and downs. It's, show me the person who has had no ups and downs. Yes, yeah. And I've had ups and I've had downs. But if I were to die today, I could turn to you and quite truthfully, I'd be saying to you, I had a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed so much of that life. Some of it I haven't. But put that aside. Mm. But I've learned so much about life and about people and about myself, in fact. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, when I, I was writing this book recently, yes, I found it was during the pandemic. I had no vaccination on medical advice. So I was very cocooned at home. Mm-hmm. And when I started to talk to Rachel, my ghostwriter, she brought out things in me that I don't think I'd ever thought about in my life. And I was 84 years of age at that stage. And I've been fascinated by how stupid I have been in not recognizing certain things in my life and what what they did to me. The, how they complicated things for me in a way that never never crossed my mind. What kind of things? Well, for instance, I I think I I, I when I when the day before I retired, mm. Paul Reynolds came to me. He did an interview for RTE, mm. and he said to me, "Would I write a book with him?" Mm. And I started to write a book. I was I mean I was thrilled to bits to be asked by Paul. And after a couple of months, anyhow, I said, Paul, this is not for me. And I never thought about it again. And for the next 19 years, I stoutly said no. So many people had said to me, write a book. And then eventually I went on the Tommy Tiernan show. Mm. And there were, I think, six members of the RT staff when I came out. And one lady said to me, you must write a book. I said, I am never going to write a book. Right. And I, I have to laugh at my own <laughs> self. I went like a lamb to the slaughter yeah. that, that that very weekend when it was when, it, when the, the show was on on the Saturday night. And one of the things I had learned was, uh, for instance, I'm an only child. Mm. I mean, an only child from a generation where people were having dozens of kids. Sure, yes. So it was unusual. And my father was very strict and devoted almost 23 hours of his day to me. Hmm. Uh, so uh, I I was looked after almost too much. But he was a man who never, never swore or anything like that. The one thing he would say, I, I would be sitting down doing my homework and uh, Maybe I'd be right trying to write an English essay. And the 
uh, as, as I say, he never swore. But if I was writing an essay, the only comment he would make is, open up your mind, you bloody little fool. And to this day, that sticks in my memory. As a positive? No, as a mm. very, very negative. Yeah. Now, I never realised this mm-hmm. until Rachel said, well, there you are. That's yeah, what's yeah, happened yeah. to you. And it took me 84 years to, I didn't even realise it until Rachel told me about it. Uh, but. Uh, and is that where the lack of. That's where the, that, yes, I, I don't have a, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I'm very factual. Uh, or is that what you have been telling yourself well, this entire time? I, I've been telling myself that, yes. And funny, I've listened to myself telling myself this, mm. obviously. Uh, so it, the last couple of years have been fun, in a sense, finding out. Yeah, things it been- that I would never have thought of myself. I would imagine it's been therapeutic. Oh, absolutely therapeutic. Absolutely. Mm. And as it happened, it happened during the pandemic, which is even better. Time to reflect. I've had a couple of things said to me in funny instances through my life that never dawned on me, really. So how do you feel now, so many years on, looking back at that young girl and as you said, your, your father devoted, you know, 23 of the 24 hours in the day to you. So it sounds like without wanting to put words in your mouth, it was, was it a, was it a suffocating kind of environment as in was freedom, not something you were no, given freely? I wasn't given freedom, mm-hmm. but it was, it was all for the, for the right reasons. Okay. He was determined that this only child was going to have a good life. Yeah, okay. And he was going to see us from his point of view. Yeah, so his heart was in the right place. His heart was totally in the right place. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to go back generations mm-hmm. when you think about it. And an awful, an awful lot of men were like that in my youth. Yeah. Let's go back again to you being qualified as a solicitor. Right. And getting that first job. Questioning your, your self-worth, uh, but appreciating your boss believing in you and you delivering the goods when then did you go from being a solicitor to making that jump into being a judge oh many many years well i was with that solicitor for about a couple of years Hmm. a year and a half i think and then i got married and i was married for 10 years and then my former husband left and I had three children to bring up. Now, my husband, my then husband, wouldn't allow me to work. Okay. And also it was, it was expected once you were married uh, uh, during those times that you would, you would not work. Well, uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So my place was to look after the children. So I had three children. What ages were they at this stage? Uh, when he left, the eldest was nine. It's nearly six and a half and four. Okay. And you were in your 40s at this stage? No, I was in my, still in my 30s. Were you? Okay. So still, in those days, you got married very young. Of course, yeah. You got married younger than obviously than what sure, one does now. Sure. For very obvious reasons that women mm-hmm. are now in the workplace. Yeah. And then I was very, again, very lucky. Hmm. 
it had just about started that women could have part-time jobs as solicitors, which suited me down to the ground because I could look after my kids, bring them to school, collect them and this sort of thing. And that's what I did. And I worked for a couple of uh, legal firms here in Dublin. And I was working uh, in near the pepper canister and I walked up this street and coming towards me was a solicitor whose father's knee I sat on as a child. And I coming towards me, he said to me, oh, he said, he was delighted to meet me. He said, you know, they're looking for a woman district judge. And I said, well, not me really, even though I did court work. And mm-hmm. I had done court work since I started to work. But I, I didn't feel I was right for that. But anyhow, I came home and I told my children. My mother was dead at the time. My father was living with me. And my kids said, but sure, why wouldn't you? But sure, I never had done a CV in my life. I had to get a young solicitor friend to do my CV. I put it in. And then I I rang Gemma Hussey, who would be married to my first cousin. She was a minister for education at the time. Okay. Now, I didn't know her well, but I told her what I was doing. And I think it was a couple of weeks later, I was appointed, myself and two men. And I was put, uh, I think it was the fifth woman judge in the country to be appointed and I was in I was a temporary judge first then they changed from temporary justices to temporary judges and then about about 18 months later I was appointed to Dublin and at this stage you are now in your 40s mid late 40s mid to to late 40s so you were on the civil side for a number of years and before you moved into the criminal side and this is where I suppose, in a way, without wanting to sound too sensationalist, but it gets juicy because of the people who were in your courtroom. And, you know, the night that you were on Tommy Tiernan, you named off Kinahan's Hutches, you know, Father Brendan Smith, the list goes on. The amount John of... Gilligan. John Gilligan. John Gilligan was my first person. I, mean, I hadn't a clue. Okay. I, I knew the guards in uniform. Mm-hmm. But if it was a detective... In ordinary clothes, I didn't know whether they were criminals, solicitors, barristers, what they were. And I'd say it was about two or three weeks on the bench. And this man came up, I now know, from being in custody. I didn't know what was downstairs, but it was actually the custody. And he was going to claim that he wanted back his 250 tapes. Tapes were the musical thing at the time Mm, mm. and there were two detectives there and they told me that they saw this man taking these tapes out of his high ace van and that they had taken the tapes and I think knowing now they would have arrested him but they couldn't prove who owned the tapes Mm -hmm. now I didn't know anything I couldn't understand all that Well, well beyond my powers of comprehension but anyhow, I said to this man in the dark, I said, thinking of my, my good Catholic education that I had, he has a high ace van, so he must have insurance, a 
I said, tax must be working. So I coyly said to him, are you working? And he shrugged his shoulder and he said, never did a day's work in my life. That was part of his mm. thing of shrugging shoulders. Mm. So I said, well, I'm afraid you can't have your tapes back. The only reason I said it was because he wasn't working. Yeah. I hadn't a clue about it. Yeah. What was your feeling about him when you met him first? Or did you have an opinion either way? I didn't really. Right. I wasn't I, I, I wasn't educated enough. Yeah. To, and he no some people you would have an opinion about, maybe. Mm. But others no. Uh but I, I I came across him a fair amount of times afterwards. Yes. And at that stage I, I knew who he was. Yeah, what he was capable of. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The area that I was sitting in, Kilmaina, was a wide area and a lot of it was criminal. And I don't know if you know of any family that's perfect, but I don't. Of course not, yeah. And we all have little problems or big problems. In our in our lives, and a lot of these people, young people, uh, I often used to laugh and say, actually, I I didn't deal with many of the women. The women used to go downtown and do their shopping, and they would be brought to the bridewell. Uh, but I would deal with more with the men. And uh, they were some de- very, a lot of them are very decent 
people, but they'd gone on the wrong road. Now, you're both types, but for instance, some of my colleagues would never use the probation service. But I would be sitting up there in the court and little Johnny would be in the dock. I wouldn't know a thing about little Johnny. What could I find out? I could talk to him, but I couldn't find out much about him. So I decided very early, about a few weeks after I went on the criminal side, I decided if that was my son or my grandson at the dock, what would I expect the judge to know? Mm. And I approached it from that angle. And I got very friendly, and still am at this stage, very friendly with some of the probation officers. And they brought me all over the place to places where I wouldn't normally have been brought. And they brought me up to Mount Joy and I saw what was going on up there. I brought, was brought up to uh, Ballyfermot mm. and I was brought into a couple of houses. And when the probation officer goes into a house, they can open up a can of worms. I couldn't see the can of worms from where I was sitting. And it sounds like, just from what you've said there, that, you know, wanting to really get the bigger picture, to get a sense of everything, to give someone as fair a chance as possible. And I know you've said in the past you had no problem in sentencing people oh, either. Absolutely. I have, look, about seven or eight years ago, hmm. I was invited to the Mansion House to a launch of a book, on a report on suicide in Dublin 8. And Lord knows suicide in Dublin 8 over the years was chronic. And I'm, I'm still very involved in Dublin 8. But uh, we were standing around, a group of us standing around afterwards. And there were about seven or eight of us. And there was a man standing opposite me. And he said, do you remember me? And I said, I do. But I said, I don't remember your name. And he told me his name. And I said, my immediate reaction was, good Lord, I thought you'd been dead long ago. Right. He was a total drug addict. Okay. And a criminal to boot, but not a bad criminal, if there is such a thing. Yeah, I get your, what you're saying, yeah. Uh, and he said, when I said to him, I thought you'd have been dead long ago, he looked at me in all seriousness. He said, I would have been only for you. Can I give you a hug? Oh, wow. It was before COVID time. Yeah, yeah. And he gave me a hug. Yeah. Now, I would never in my wildest of dreams have ever expected that from him. He now has a son whom mm. I've met right. who plays soccer yeah. for I said, Pats or Bohemian or not. Right. And he's a great young fella. Yeah. And the father, to boot, is also great. Oh, that's amazing, Gillian. So by you locking him up, yes. gave him a chance it's, to clean himself up. There isn't one size fits all. Yeah, of course. That's what I'm saying. And I suppose none of us get it right in life either, but you're in a position of your, I suppose, for, for, for people, they're very much at a crossroads when they approach yeah. you. Yeah. Where am I going to go? What's going to happen next? Yeah, and the decision I'll, you make I will think he, have... I think he knew I was going to put him in every time, but he, he would do nothing. 
Uh, so you, you kept seeing him. He's I kept back seeing again, him. He back kept again, on coming back. back, back. And, uh, when did the penny drop for him that things had know. to change? I right? don't know when it, dro- when it dropped, but he was a man in his 40s when I met him. Okay, and he turned his life around. And he turned his life. And I, I mean, I, I'm, in, I'm in contact with people in Dublin 8 yeah. still, and I know he's fine and great. That's brilliant. That must give you such satisfaction. It's lovely. Yeah. And nobody is more pleased than I am when I see somebody turning their life around. Sure. And it gives me as much kick as it gives them, I think. Mm. Possibly more. Yeah. Well, it leads nicely into an amazing relationship you have with someone to this day who, when she was only 17, was in front of you. And once again, it was it was one of those uh, decisions that were made that had a lasting impact on her. But it's very frightening. She like we none of us knows Mm. where our words are going to drop. Yeah. They could drop on fertile soil or they could drop into the river or wherever. This day, this young, I can only call her a waif. Mm. She had beat before me, drunk and disorderly and criminal damage in the Garda station at Ballyfermot. I don't know what happened, but she pleaded guilty and I put her back for a month or so. And in that month, she came in to me, attached to a Garda in custody. And her mother came with her and the mother was in floods of tears. Court was packed. Mother bawled and she said to me, please, please do something with her. Now, You've no time at all, really, to think, if the court, in, particularly in the mornings when the court's full. And I turned to the mother and I said, OK, I said, I'll tell you what. For the next seven days and seven nights, you'll know where your daughter is. OK. And I turned to this waif and I said, you have seven days and seven nights to decide what you're going to do. Otherwise, I might have to interfere. So where did you put her? I put her in Dogus. Yeah, yeah. And off she went. She came back the following week and I said to her, Okay, I'm going to let you out in bail. It's up to you. I'm going to change my life. Well, I said, it's up to you and darling. I said, I don't care. Mm. She didn't know I was retiring in three weeks. Okay. It wasn't her business. I wasn't going to tell her. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she went off herself. I, I put her back, I think, about two months in the care of the probation service. And that was in April 2002. Mm. And coming up to the Christmas that year, I got a phone call from a man who was the manager of a drug treatment centre. They were doing a sale of work for Christmas. Would I please come down to the church in St. Mark's in Pierce Street? It's the Born Again Christians. And is this something you would have done? Oh, I'd go anywhere. But would you? That. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All I had to do was pick up the phone and ask me. Right, okay. And I had a very good relationship with this man, the, the manager of business. Yeah. And I said, yes, of course. I said, I didn't know who it was or anything. I went down to the sale of work. I saw nobody I knew. Nobody that resembled anybody I knew. Eventually, she was brought over to me. Hmm. I wouldn't have recognised her. Okay. She had been through the centre. She then graduated. And our mother was at the graduation. I remember I said to the mother, well, now you can have tears of joy. Yes. I was at that girl's wedding. Yeah, well. She now has four boys. Uh, we were asked to speak at a fundraising event in Clontarf Castle. Around about 
2008. Now, I, I retired in 2002. And, I mean, it's a funny story. We were two Gillians, the young and the old Gillian. Oh, she's a Gillian as well. She's a Gillian as oh, well. Oh, lovely. And uh, she... I, we became friends. Yeah, yeah. It's such a beautiful um, story of friendship and... I know you've said that she had to do the work, but you gave her the opportunity her to the opportunity. change. Yeah, I gave her the opportunity. And can you imagine if you hadn't given her that chance, how I, different things could well, have been? I have said it to her since. Yeah. What would we, where would we be today? I know. If your mother te- mother's tears hadn't come that day. That to me is frightening. It is. And I would imagine you and your career, you would have it far more than, you know, us mere mortals where you have many of those sliding doors moments those yes, moments where yes. you know one door leads one way and another oh. a completely different one um and and it's wonderful to hear these 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 positive stories but i'm sure in your career you've had moments where you've made a decision and you've had to stand by it um and not know how it's going oh, to absolutely. impact the person either and i mean i was going to i was going down the particularly has a had a bus outside Cleary's on a Thursday night. I went, the, Aubrey, the, the chairman, and myself had gone down to, we parked in Talbot Street on a Thursday night at about half past ten. We'd been to a fundraising thing for something else. And he said to me, I want to go over to these people that are giving out soup. I was 81 at that stage, I remember. Right. Now, you can imagine an 81-year-old woman in Talbot Street at half ten at night on a Thursday night. Right. It's not the right place, really, for an okay. interview on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. anyhow... I crawled him across the road and he was, went over to this chap and before I got halfway across the street how are you Gillian? you gave me my first three sentences <laughs> here, here was a young man yeah. giving out soup to the homeless yeah okay he had changed his life yeah now I had nothing to do with it but I of course just, you did of course I you did I just thought to myself at 81 years isn't of age isn't that wonderful yeah. in those situations and the, the, the chairman of, of Tiglin with me and this fellow turned around to me. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're a person that really tuned into your intuition when it came to making decisions. Because even though you said you were very logical of mind and very factual, I would imagine the heart of the case really came into play when you made your yeah. decision. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it did. I mean, I could be equally bad, you know. Give, yeah. Give, give a fellow nine or ten months. I had no problem doing it. Sure. And I made no apologies. I said I could do it with or without a smile. You're also uh, the patron of the Crime Victims Helpline. You do a lot of work as well. And to this day, I think you're still very much involved. Well, I was. I, my health has unfortunately deteriorated. And I, but because of COVID, well, I've, I've given up. Pulled back from a lot of things. I pulled back from a yeah. lot. Of it. I still am very keen on it. I, I think it's wonderful to have it there. But when I was asked to do it, I was retired at the time, and when mm. I was asked to do it by, by Maeve Ryan, who set it up, uh, I said, I'd only do it if I volunteer to answer the phone, to talk to people. Now, they didn't, they don't have, they didn't have to know who I was. Yeah. But I wanted to engage with them to see the, what the victim was. I do feel sorry. I feel equally sorry for victims. But just because I feel equally sorry for victims doesn't mean that the accused goes to prison. Wow, that's a statement, isn't it? And so I, explain that to me. Well, <clears throat> it, it, it's hard to explain. Right. It's very difficult to explain it. Yeah. But 
uh, the victim, I'm hoping at times, first of all, the victim will get some support from places like Crime Victims Helpline mm, mm. and any other organisation that they may want to talk to. But that they might be able to understand that that young person has got issues that have never been dealt with and that have caused that young person to commit crime. Mm. And it's partly because there are a huge number of mental health issues mm. that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about. I heard, I think, it was a, I think it was the beginning of this year, I heard somebody from the HSE saying, uh, well, we hope to have some of the mental health organisations back by Christmas. And I said to myself, what? Hmm. What do we do between now and Christmas? Yeah. This was the beginning of the year. Look at the number of people who fall between the cracks. You know, I suppose as well, when it comes to, and I haven't been in a situation where I have been in a courtroom, been the victim of a crime or been the person to commit the crime. But for those who have been in that scenario for whatever their own personal reason is, we can only ever see anything through our own experience. So I would imagine it's very difficult if you are the victim of a crime to have compassion and understanding for the person who oh, committed absolutely. that to oh, you. Absolutely. Because you are trying to deal with your own pain, your own trauma, whatever it might be. And I think as Irish people, there is, I know this is something I've had discussions with people about, the frustration about the legal system yeah. here mm-hmm. and how gentle sentencing can be sometimes when you look at what the crime is that's been committed and the impact it has on the person or persons involved and you're kind of there scratching your head head i am as a normal hunter watching the news going how did that happen yeah but you're 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 so right Uh, during this year now for instance i've done thankfully i've done a lot of zoom conferences Mm. uh passes the time but mm. it also keeps me in touch because I have no other ways of keeping in touch now. But I, this particular uh, Zoom conference, there were four victims. And they were victims of uh, sexual abuse yeah. of some sort. And I was very, very struck. And it only came to me suddenly. And I thought, good grief, you didn't think of that years ago. And that was that they go to an organization like Crime Victims Helpline or VSAC or whatever is out there now. And, and there are not all that many women's aid and men's aid. Men's aid is doing very well now. Mm. But uh, they then go into the court. The courtroom is frightening, yeah. very frightening. And the barristers are really at times, all I can say is let loose. Right. I not in great admiration for them but in what then, way they just get caught up in the drama yes, of it yes and they ask lose sight of, yes they, they, it's like it's like as if they're acting okay so they lose sight of what actually yes. is at the core and they of it. lose sight of the victim mm-hmm. and then the sentence if it is there is given and the victim walks out of court and that's it yeah where's the aftercare where are all the organisations gone to your yeah. case is dealt with bye bye yeah 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 and I thought to myself, you know, that's appalling. Yeah. Those people will have to live with that for either for the rest of their life or until they're yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. And 
the court case itself will have unnerved that person. Yes. Because it takes a huge amount of courage to put yourself oh, in that absolutely. position. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Massive. And I think unless you've been through it or you've <coughs> heard somebody's experience of it, you know, the amount of effort and work and sitting down, making statements, all of that, that the hours and hours and days and months and however long it takes to get your case ready for the courtroom yeah. is and then, and hugely then exhausting. And COVID has done no favours to any of the victims. Yeah, yeah. Those cases are not being heard for ages. What would you like to see change? I don't know. And I, 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 I don't think it's, it's, it's not up to me. But if you had, if you could, if you had the power and you had, you could make changes, what would you like them to be? Well, I suppose we'd, we'd, we'd need more courts, we'd need more staff. Does it need an overhaul? Yes, it does need an overhaul. It does need, need an overhaul. And even though you have retired as a judge, that sense of justice and right and wrong is very much still something that stays with you. Oh, absolutely. Well, there, there are times when I, I feel very, very sad for people I don't even know. Mm. Because I know they need help. Yeah. Look how quick we were, for instance, last year, was it? To bring in a law to give maternity leave to ministers who had children. Mm. Do you remember that? Mm. That was like that. Yeah, yeah. It took 30 years to bring in other laws. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who you know. Yeah. So at this point in your life, looking back on on what you've experienced in your career, what would you say you have? I mean, I know you've learned an awful lot. I've learned a huge, I've learned more than I've taught anyone. Yeah which is why getting all of your stories and your opinion down on paper in a book is going to be such a wonderful legacy for to leave wonder, for your kids. I wonder. But it's the way I feel. Yeah. And I hope that maybe even some of the victims that didn't approve of my attitude towards the person who committed the crime might understand more of where I was coming from if they saw the book. Yeah, very interesting. I would. I don't expect the victims to fully appreciate why I did certain things. Yeah, yeah. But you see, victims in those days, they came into the court. We, we heard cases of the afternoon. I would come out onto the bench and I would look around the court and I'd say, oh, this is going to be a wonderfully easy afternoon. I knew everybody. Right, okay. If I saw one person I didn't know, oh dear, we have a case for hearing. Explain the, the difference. The difference was the victim stood up and stood out. Yeah. The victim was terrified. Yeah. Didn't know whether to genuflect even to the judge sort yeah, of thing. did not behave. It completely, it's a terrible ordeal for, for, for victims. And you see, the guard, the who were, was 
were dealing with these cases, they were young guards. Yeah. And it's not a crime to be young. But I often say to people, you know, did you think to older people, did you think the same way when you were 30 as you did when you were 50? Mm. And they say, good Lord, no. No. That's, that's natural. That's life. You've learned a bit in that 20 years. But these young girls are young. Mm. They come in there with the lady or the man. Uh, and that's possibly the second time they've met this person, victim. Because in those days, the, the guards didn't have time to go talking to the victim. Mm. And if, if the victim, for instance, rang the guard at the station, I often used to say this in Crime Victims Outland. If, if the victim rang the guard at the station, the guard wasn't there. And, you know, I, I often heard people in, in Crime Victims Outland saying, well, there's no pity the guard isn't there. I said, hang on a moment. Do you want the guard sitting at a desk or do you want him going, or her, going out collecting up the criminals? You can't have both ways. Hmm. So they didn't have a lot of contact with the victim. And consequently, the victim was on the back foot from the moment they came into the court. Yeah. But I hope, <clears throat> in some small way, that if one of them was to pick up that book, they might understand. Yeah. I was trying to make a better life for everybody. The book is Lessons from the Bench, Reflections on a Career Spent in Ireland's Criminal Courts from Judge Gillian Hussey, and it's out now. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with family, friends or on social media. And you can support what I do in all the usual ways by clicking follow, giving a rating or leaving a little comment. You've been listening to Ready to be Real. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.